Well, when I started there on my first day, I had a big whiteboard in my office and I wrote on the top and I did it in Sharpie so I couldn't erase it. I wrote on the top, make disciples. And over the next several years, I created small groups and leadership training and all the, I, I spent about four months creating the step-by-step. It had, I think, 76 different steps in this critical flow diagram of what we do from the time people's wheels hit the driveway of our parking lot to when they're seated inside, right? So we had this incredible, all of these incredible programs kind of put together. And every year I'd come back and I'd look at that whiteboard and I'd see Make Disciples and it's like, well, we're growing too fast and Sunday's coming and we have to prepare this awesome. So I guess we'll just let that slide until next year. Welcome to In the Room with Communitas North America. It's a time when we invite you to enter our world for a brief conversation and hear more about what we are passionate about as a missional and microchurch network. We also hope that these conversations will inspire you to think about new ways of being the church in North America. I am Leon Longard, the team lead for Communitas North America. My co-host in these conversations is James Cola. So grab yourself a favorite beverage, have a seat, and join us around the table. Welcome, guys. This is In the Room with Communitas. When we started this program almost a year ago with the hope of kind of just sharing a picture of what Communitas is, also really with a desire to share some of the practices that we think are beneficial for the church mission and church planters just wanting to like offer those beyond our own organization we also really hope that this conversation inspires creativity around church and mission in ourselves and and people who are listening uh this is the first episode of our second season and i'm james with me is leon and Jeff. And uh, yeah, tonight we have Jeff Reinhardt, president of Communitas International, um, actually used to be the North American director. And he also leads a uh, faith community in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So Jeff, I'm already, I gave you a few highlights, but why don't you go ahead and Tell us a little bit about your story and your journey with Communitas. Yeah, sure. Thanks, you guys, for including me in this today. It's really a pleasure to, to be talking with you all. Uh, yeah, so our, our journey with Communitas, I had spent uh, about eight years working on a church staff here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We moved here 20 years ago for kind of a change of lifestyle and wanted to go to a place where our avocations could be our vocations. And for me, that was you know ministry or coaching or um, working with high school age students, those kinds of things. And within a couple of months of being here, uh, we found a church that had just launched and they uh, wanted to create kind of a small group culture. And so I had just done that with another church plant in the Bay Area. Um, and I said, yeah, well, I think I can help you with that. So we went from uh, three small groups to 60 small groups in a weekend. Uh, and I made such a mess that they had to hire someone to come on and, and take care of it. Um, but that started me on a journey of kind of this, this church growth kind of movement. And by the time I got 
kind of the end of my season there, which was eight, nine years, I was really thinking about other ways of being and and doing church, but mostly being the church. Uh, and that's when I got connected with uh, with Communitas. I did that through um, a church in Spokane called New Community Church, um, which was planted years ago by Rob Fairbanks, a former president of Communitas, and currently led by a dear friend of mine, uh, Russ Davis. And uh, we just started dreaming about what things could look like. And he encouraged me to help them write a church planter and residence program, which I did. And then he said, well, why don't you apply for it? And I said, well, Russ, we, th this is for somebody moving to Spokane. Who's like 25. I'm already embedded in Coeur d'Alene. I said, I mean, I think I'd consider it if you would consider doing something in Coeur d'Alene. And they said, yeah, let's, uh, let's consider that. So they ended up using the Communitas network. Uh, I went through engage and all the other things that, that we do on the assessment side from Communitas. And that's how we started Cairo Community, which is our community here in Coeur d'Alene, been going for 12 years now. So, Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Jeff. Yeah, of course. Um, today, we were really wanting to talk about discipleship, which is a topic that came up a lot in our first season. And as it came up in our first season, I just over and over again thought, I just think Communitas has got some like really exciting like convictions and ideas about discipleship. And when Leanne and I were talking about like, who do we bring in to like talk about Communitas's vision for this? I was, Jeff, you're a good friend and I was excited to bring in and hear from you on this. Um, Jeff is actually probably the reason I <laughs> connected with Communitas. Yeah. I mean, my dad was in it, but Jeff, I think you extended the invitation. I did. Oh, yep. yeah. Um, but as we get into a conversation about discipleship, discipleship is a word that I think our familiarity with it has caused it to maybe lack meaning or we at least take the meaning for granted. And I was wondering if you could offer us a definition of discipleship. Yeah, no, that's that's such a good question because I mean that's really the question to ask, right? What what do you mean by discipleship? And th the challenge I think we've faced in the church, certainly in the last fifty years, if not a hundred, is that we've tended to put discipleship kind of on the same level that we put missionary, right? Like, oh, okay, missionaries are a select group of people that go overseas. And, and disciples are a select group of people that go through some kind of a program, right? So you, you become a member and then you do all the right things. You believe all the right ways. You behave all the right ways. And now you can belong. But now if you're going to belong, you have to do this program. And I'll tell you a quick story about that. When I, um, when I started at this church here in Coeur d'Alene, when it opened, it was 250 people. Uh, when I first went there, it was about 275 and then over the next four years, we went from 275 people to 2,500. So it was this massive um, kind of church explosion, um, attractive, you know, attraction model of, of church, killer band, um, kind of relevant but topic-based teaching, um, those kinds of things. Well, when I started there on my first day, I had a big whiteboard in my office and I wrote on the top and I did it in Sharpie so I couldn't erase it. I wrote on the top, make disciples. 
And over the next several years, I created small groups and leadership training and all the, I, I spent about four months creating the step-by-step. It had, I think, 76 different steps in this critical flow diagram of what we do from the time people's wheels hit the driveway of our parking lot to when they're seated inside, right? So we had this incredible, all of these incredible programs kind of put together. And every year I'd come back and I'd look at that whiteboard and I'd see make disciples. And it's like, well, we're growing too fast and Sunday's coming and we have to prepare this. Awesome. So I guess we'll just let that slide until next year. And when I got to year eight, and that felt like it just kept sliding, a couple of things hit me. The first one was discipleship isn't a program. And I think too many churches see it as some kind of a prescribed program. Um, and then I was I was kind of haunted by thinking, well, since we don't have a formalized discipleship program here at this church, does that mean that discipleship isn't happening? And the truth is that discipleship was happening, Right. Uh, it just wasn't happening in a prescribed formula through a class, through teaching and, and those kinds of things. But it was happening organically. And I think that's the real the real tone of discipleship for us today is that it's, it's not a program. Um, being a disciple is like being a missionary. If you are claiming to have a faith in Christ, then you are a disciple. If you claim to have a faith in Christ, you are a missionary. You are on mission. I don't care if it's in your neighborhood or anywhere else across the world. But those things ring true for us that that claim a relationship in Jesus. One, we're disciples. Two, we're on mission. So what does discipleship then look like? And I'm not begging on programs. I think they can be really helpful. But I think discipleship really is more about a lifestyle and relationship than it is about a program. Um, so, you know, when we talk about discipleship, I think we're really talking about the investment of us as believers in the lives of other people. And I think it goes a step further than that. I think it goes into, um, being obedient to that beyond an agenda. So when discipleship becomes a program, it's like, okay, we got to follow these steps. Do we get to this? Let's check that off the list. Okay, now you know John 13, 3, 3, now, okay, great, check all of those things. You just kind of check off the list. And it it's far, it's far more than that. Mm-hmm. It's really about living a, an integrated life that's true and authentic and real that reveals the authenticity of Christ in your life to other people around you. Mm. So how do you guys define discipleship? I mean, it, it's in, in your conversations over the last year with a number of people, what have been some of the things that have been thrown out? Well, I love that you brought up relationship because that was a thing that kept coming up, I think, in so many of our conversations mm-hmm. where it was, I think we were just getting these pictures of people doing discipleship in like the context of friendship. Right. Okay. Right. Was like, like I'm side by side with people who I love pursuing Christ, pursuing Christ's mission. And because we're doing that together, I'm learning how to do it better. They're learning how to do it better. And we're having conversation, we're caring for each other. And that was something I was just enjoying hearing so much as we were having these conversations last year. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, you know, what you're saying, um, it's similar to what I think. It's like it's life on life mentorship and to really define it by a program or feel like um, I was conversing with a friend recently who, you know, he's talking about how a lot of times we, we get trained to think, particularly if you've been heavily trained in traditional ministry, you think, okay, I got this 12 step study I got to bring or 13 week study that everybody has to go through. And once they complete that study, they've been discipled and then they can carry it on. You know, we have whole publishing companies that focus on this type of stuff. That's right. But it's that relational life on life mentorship. And I also often think about how did Jesus disciple his disciples? It was in the context of mission. And maybe we can talk about that. You know, I think the original question we have is like, how critical is discipleship to the life of a missional faith community? But it's like, what is that overlap between mission and discipleship? How do they happen? Well, I, I think they really go hand in hand, Leon. Um, and again, I'll go back to the, the point I made earlier is if you are a follower of Christ, you're, you are a disciple and you are on mission, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for this was, and, I'll, and I can ask the question back to you guys and answer it later right, once I kind of think through this question you've asked, Leon, and that is what have been the most impactful discipleship journeys for each of you and how did they look? When I answered that question for me, it was not a program. Yeah. It was somebody willing to make the investment to say, this is an example of me living the Christ life. And what would that look like for you? It doesn't have to look just like the person who's discipling me, uh, but there are going to be elements that are going to be universal to that, right? Leading with love, being generous, having an open posture, exhibiting hospitality, all, all of those character traits that we would assign to um, those that are living the Christ life. So when we think about mission, that certainly from a communitas standpoint, we've always led with that, right? That we're not going in to plant a service that you come to for an hour. We're going in to have an impact in a neighborhood, right? So we start and shape communities of faith that love like Jesus in their neighborhood. And the, the loving like Jesus is critically important in that because when we say that we start and shape communities of faith that love like Jesus in their neighborhood, that is discipleship. I mean, that is that could be a definition of it, frankly, mm -hmm. um, loving like Jesus in your neighborhood. So, so the idea of discipleship and mission, um, they're tightly integrated. There's, I don't, there, there's not like a okay, well, now let's learn about mission. Okay, and now you go to your discipleship meeting with whomever. They're, they're integrated um, constantly. So hopefully that answers that answers the question. But, but let me throw it back at you. Um, as a, a young believer, I did go through, and I love these things. Don't, don't mishear me. <laughs> yeah. I did things like navigators and all that and, and memorize scripture. And, and, all, and it, was, it was wonderful. In that context, that was seen as me being discipled. But the truth was, my my greatest discipleship then and now has happened through those who are willing to journey with me. And it almost becomes this kind of co-discipleship relationship. It's it's not like, um, like those who I would consider to be my disciples. They're discipling me as much as I'm discipling them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so if you think back to where the most impact or the most influence on you guys have been in learning uh, to live this Christ life, to practicing our faith, where has that happened for you? Did it happen through a program? And it could have. Or did it happen through kind of an organic relational kind of way? Well, I, w- I would say definitely, I mean, over the years, a more organic relational kind of a way is really where the greatest impact happens. I agree with you on that. It's like, um, you know, even going back to my preteen, teen years, living with my grandmother and just watching her navigate faith as a woman who lost her husband when her youngest was like one month from being born and, you know, raising four children on her own and then just watching her hold on to faith and her time in prayer and things like that. I was like, wow, there is something here that I'm learning from just being around her and seeing her, her life. Um, And I mean, just throughout history, my life, it's like connecting with a friend who was kind of a mentor in campus ministry. And he would kind of try to disciple me the traditional program, but really was watching his love for the scripture. Yeah. That just made me go, oh, wow, this is this is something I need to keep focused on and keep making an important part of my life. So, I mean, yeah, it's throughout life. It's always it's the people we relate to and walking with somebody co-leading a missions team when I had never led a missions trip before with somebody who had done quite a few learning how to bring people across cultures through that. Um, Yeah. It's all those things. Yeah. That's good. James, how about for you? I I, I don't mean to to twist this to make me the question asker, but I am curious. (laughs) No, I appreciate this. Um, Two really um, significant things are coming to mind. And the first is Kaleo is the church that I did much of my growing up in. And Kaleo's rhythms, which you might call programming, really created space for me to be discipled. I, it was, Kaleo, every four weeks, instead of gathering, we went and like served in some capacity in our community. And that space, I think, just made me feel so capable and passionate about caring for people. Uh, Those are things that I think before doing that with Kaleo, I would have been like, I can't, I can't care for people, especially not as young as I was. Hmm. Um, And so doing that side by side with people I loved and admired made me be like, oh, this is one, I love doing this too. I totally am able to love people this way. Um, so I see a little bit of both the like programming and the relationship in that. The other like big discipling thing I think of from like early days of like learning to follow Jesus on my own, um, was honestly largely came from an adult, just like giving me permission. I remember being in high school and the, leader of our campus Bible club being like, I want, I want you to lead and being like, I'm not, no, you don't. You don't want to bear by me. <laughs> you don't want to give me that kind of power and then be responsible for the things that I do. Um, and that was, just, I mean, that was really 
for someone to be like, no, I'm going to give you the space to do this. And when you mis make mistakes, I'm going to be there beside you. And yeah. it's powerful. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> that's good. I, I think, you know, as I look back on, on my life, the, the biggest influences on me, and I think this is where the church is headed again. I, I, I'm not saying that I was like somehow way ahead of the curve, but as I study culture now, I, I'm seeing um, a request, uh, almost a demand for what does it look like to live an integrated life 24 seven, 365. And when, when I was, when I was coming up through church in the 1980s and nineties, th there was, and maybe it was my age, but there, there was what you did at church and then what you did with the programs of the church and then all of your other life. And oftentimes what I was noticing was that those things could be very different and separated. And so for, for me, I was looking for people that would influence me that would live an integrated life 24 7 365 who you are on sunday at 10 o'clock is the same person you are on tuesday at one um and and that happened for me i was fortunate i had a, a football coach who was also on staff at a church but i got to see him coach football i got to see him care for me in in tough situations and, and that to me was an example of oh okay there's something about living this christ life that isn't segmented into these little, you know, these pieces of pie, you know, what you are in the building, what you are in a program, and then what you are everywhere else. Uh, and that gave me the freedom to pursue so many things um, beyond the program, right? Asking different questions, asking deep questions, asking hard questions, and having somebody there that was willing to journey that with me. So I think that's discipleship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like that the the integrated life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that happened for me because it just got too hard. At a certain point, you, you know, there, people are expecting a certain way of acting or even behaving. You know, we talk about that um, believe, behave, belong, and how communitas flips that. Right? No, you can belong. And and behavior may follow that, but belief may come last, right? So mm. we kind of flipped that on its on its side. Um, but it it was too it was too um, complicated to. I, there was a season where I felt like who I needed to appear to be on Sunday was not consistent with who I was on Wednesday at noon. But I was making the right appearance on Sunday. And that to me is like, that's, that's not the Christ life. What does it look like, you know, all the time? Yeah. Very hard to experience love in that space. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the Christ life is just so characterized by experience love and offering love in that space. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, and the beautiful freedom to, fail in a way right i mean you mentioned this james a little bit earlier like well you want me to lead i'm gonna mess this thing up <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know the, the the disciples were massive failures in a sense right i mean the, yeah. the the most encouraging thing that happens after and this is in john's gospel but after jesus resurrection he appears to them and he says peace be with you 
right? Which shalom, it's not just like, hey, we're cool. It's like, no, peace, shalom. We are in contract forever. This is a covenant that mm-hmm. you're always good with me, right? Yeah. And this is a group of people that just betrayed him and left him and were fearful and full of doubt. And I mean, all it's like you would think if you were judging like friendship on a, on a meter, you would probably put them at like two out of 10 in that moment. <laughs> And then the first thing Jesus does when he comes to him is says, we're good forever, right? So what that tells me is that there is room for us to experience this Christ life in, in a way that um, leaves room for us to grow. It, we don't have to be perfect. And I think so much of discipleship kind of, or, or what we've called discipleship programs, are, are kind of hoping to get people to a certain level of perfection before they start serving right and in communitas we've always said you're never going to reach that level of perfection start serving so you can learn what the the journey looks like that's one i think that's one of the reasons i mean there's many reasons but one of the reasons i love the grace oriented emphasis that we have at communitas is because of that it's just the like we're gonna I have experienced lots in my short time with Communitas and in my long time with Communitas because I was the child of someone who belonged to <laughs> The reality that Communitas just does so well, loving and being in community with people where they are. Right. Um, yeah. I would, I would ask with that, Jeff, um, what are some of the ways that you just see Communitas doing discipleship well whether it be stories or tools how do you see that being done well within communitas yeah that's a that's a great question um and there's no simple answer to it because you know one of the one of the things that drew me into this organization was our ability to be in multiple cultures and for people to become experts of a culture and understand it and read it and, and apply to that culture what the Christ life looks like in the most effective way in that place. So what we would think of as discipleship in North America, for example, will look very different in Spain than it does here. It'll look very different in Eastern Europe than it does here. Um, it looks very different. In fact, in some cases, we kind of think it looks you know, 20 to 50 years behind in Central and South America. Um, so there, there's not really a formula, I think, to say that. Yeah. But but what what is common is that we choose to live oftentimes in the gray, right? So um, what drew me to Communitas the most right at first was that multiple people could be at the table and have very different opinions on theological matters, for example, and still love each other and walk away in unity. That to me was this, this is a taste of heaven to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's become more and more of a taste as we've, you know, been through the last six to eight years, you know, just seeing some of the the divide, um, the binary kind of thinking of you're either with us or not with us, or you're this label or that label or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think communitas has played a significant role culturally to say, 
we can love Jesus and still disagree on some things. And that to me is actually a, a level of discipling others well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if that's a good answer to your question. It is very culturally contextual yeah. um, mm-hmm. where we are and what that looks like in, in North America. You know, I think North America right now is, is rapidly changing. Um, it's probably going through, North America is probably going through in about 15 to 20 years what took Europe maybe a thousand years to go through. Mm-hmm. But we're catching up. We're catching up to Europe mm-hmm. where it, yeah. you know, this is no, if we ever were a Christian nation, certainly culturally we were, a, you know, kind of a Christian nation. That, that's going away. So yeah. what does it look like now in this context to be people of the truth? where you don't have the um, the power of the state necessarily behind you, right? I mean, they'd get a hold of a whole long conversation about, you know, yeah. going back to Constantine and yeah. making Christianity the religion of the empire. I mean, that, that, that set in play, frankly, a whole method of quote unquote discipleship that was very programmatic yeah. and used force to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're very far away from that now in, in some ways or in a really good way, but also in some challenging ways, I think in North America. Yeah. So. When the cultural norm recognizes the church as having the answers, your approach to discipleship is just inevitably going to look a little different than when the court cultural norm does not start with that mm-hmm. assumption. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and, and we're in a place now where in some cases it's, it's, it's to the benefit of the kingdom that people are questioning the church having the authority because frankly, the church has abused it Mm -hmm. and, and has hurt a lot of people and hasn't been a good representation of, of Christ or the Christ life. Right. And so, and so how do, how do we, say that we are part of this union, which I believe we are, and yet also recognize there have been some major foul-ups here. Yeah. But let's focus back on what what Christ calls us to, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Let's live this way. Take all the dogma out, take all of the 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 power out, you know, and and mm-hmm. you, you can't go back to go forward necessarily, but um but there are elements that we can learn a lot from right. the past to apply to our future. You know, something you said earlier, which I think plays well also into this question, the whole, how is we do it? Well, is that whole belonging, believing, um, behaving thing that the idea that we walk with people who don't necessarily behave Christianly or whatever our culture says is Christian. And we just say, Hey, let's walk together in life and let's see what comes out of it. And we just let the relationship grow. Let the Holy spirit do the work, not necessarily saying, Hey, we have to have the preset outcomes of what your life is going to look like right in the end. And I think that that in this age is going to be critical yeah, because people don't want to be, have these, expectations thrown on them that they feel like this, this organization has pushed upon them. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's good insight, Leon. That's yeah. good. James, I, yeah, oh, go, go ahead from, your, from yeah. your perspective and generation. Uh, would you rephrase that for me? Well, I, I, I just think back to um, when I was younger and, and kind of becoming a person of faith on my own accord, there, there was this formula, you know, you invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior, which at the time sounded great. If we use that language today, people would run so fast, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that there that there's not truth in it. I'm not saying yeah. that. It's just it's the way we communicate that, and not through just words, but through action, right? It's not our orthodoxy; it's the orthoproxy that I think speaks mm -hmm. more loudly to culture today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, just kind of putting that in the context of of discipleship and that believe, behave, belong paradigm, and flipping it over. To where you can belong anytime. You don't have to believe something first yeah. or say a certain prayer first, right? You can belong and, and live this life alongside of us. And once you experience that life and see what we bring to that life, behavior will start to change, right? And then it's like, wow, okay, my, my life has changed and these things. And then that's where belief yeah. kind of comes in. But yeah. to put it the other way, it's like, okay, do you, do you believe, do you believe our statement of faith? Yeah. Okay, great. Well now start acting this way and change your clothes and clean up your mouth and stop going to the pub. Right. <laughs> okay. Well now you can become a member. <laughs> you yeah. get the inner sanctum. You know? um, anyway, thank you for bringing that up both Leon and James. I'm curious, James, too, from, from your perspective and your generation. Um, I mean, at some point, the evangelical world can, can kind of say, we've got to throw this whole thing away and start over again. Yeah. But I, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater either. So what, what are some yeah. of your thoughts on that? I think that is a question that deserves a lot of attention and probably a lot of voices to speak to. I will say one of the things that I'm experiencing, um, I think intimacy is just going to be so important for my generation and the generation after mine as a component to, I mean, we can call it discipleship. We can call it faith community, like whatever you want to put there. I just, I'm many of my peers I think are in a space where whether they're outside of the church or they have a relationship with the church that's rocky they're looking for relationships where they can process what they're thinking that feels safe. I think there's a strong desire for what you're talking about. This idea that like, are you guys gonna, are you guys gonna love me regardless of my behavior or is my behavior, is mm -hmm. my belonging contingent on my behavior and my views? I mean, I think one of the places I'm experiencing a lot of joy right now is just when I get to like, listen, to my peers talk about like, hey, this is like what I'm experiencing with God right now, or this is how I'm processing this church. It's just a fun space for me to be in. And I think without 
that kind of intimacy being pursued and then lots of people are going to walk from the church. Mm-hmm. And I think people, one of the shortcomings that I see often is like not doing the side-by-side discipleship. Because um, I do, I think, I think you look, you look at anybody and they are, you look at anybody who's has some kind of relationship with the church, some kind of relationship with Jesus, and they're interested in living like Jesus. They often think that like, Jesus understood something valuable. But they don't necessarily know like, what it looks like to live like he did or how to experience intimacy with him. I just think it's so essential that we be inviting the people to do stuff with us. We, yeah. and that could be, Oh, like I'm doing this like meditative practice. I'm, I'm doing a, like Ignatian examine, like kind of a gratitude exercise every morning. Sweet. And like, it's just a fun space for me to like reflect on God in. and what an easy thing for me to invite other people who are pursuing Jesus and like yeah. in doing that with other people, I get to help other people experience God and I get to learn from other people. I, the hand, the hand in hand, we're doing this side by side component is huge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very true for millennials, Gen Z, everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love that James. In, in fact, thank you for the word intimacy. Um, I think one of the challenges for my generation and older, I certainly saw this in my parents, for example, was was intimacy was feared and intimacy was uh, very enclosed to like one or two people, right? Um, but but what I'm seeing culturally is is again, it goes back to this integrated life, right? You are who you are, wherever you are all the time. Um, to to what I'm seeing culturally is that intimacy is is being called out as kind of a marker. Like if if you can't be authentic and intimate with people, then then there is reason to be skeptical of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually pretty smart. I think it's actually almost an evolutionary cycle of right. How do you protect yourself? Right. Um, and uh, th- I think that's critically critically important. And then the, the walking side by side thing is, is it, it's right on. Um, let's join together as we live this life together in authentic intimacy. Hmm. That's discipleship. It's good. Well, I wonder if we have any other like examples. We've had a couple of stories of how you've seen um, discipleship work in communities either through Cairo or other communities, how have you seen, like what are some of the stories that you think would really capture this image really well? Yeah, gosh, there, there, there are so many. Um, I mean, I, I could look at this from the perspective of, of how I've seen lives be changed through people experiencing community with, with us. Um, that sounds almost like bragging, but, but I'll provide at least one of those. And then how I've seen it through, through a number of others. Uh, when Christy and I were newly married, 
we served on uh, a high school um, youth, you know, a youth team, youth for a church. And one of the things that a couple of folks in this youth group did is they started a sports camp on the summer, like a one week long kind of sports camp. And it was football and soccer and basketball and weight training and that kind of stuff. Well, we ended up meeting a young woman there who was going into her senior year of high school. Um, and she was in a very difficult place in her life. And Christy and I were newly married. Uh, we had a house, our first house and no kids. And this young woman needed a place to live. And so we opened our home to her, um, which, you know, was a bit of a risk in a way, but, um, but it was the right thing. We, we prayed about it and felt like that was the right thing to do. And just by having I mean, somebody living with you is very different than meeting with somebody an hour a week for coffee, right? Which is kind of what discipleship looked like. 20 mm -hmm. years ago, we meet together once a week for coffee, right? Um, but having someone live with you, it's like, you, you can't hide from anything. You are just who you are in that space. And the impact it had on this young woman's life. Um, in fact, I just interviewed her for one of our, our podcasts for Communitas. Her name is Gigi. And I would encourage everybody to listen to that podcast. Um, she ended up going to college and playing volleyball and then going to Denver seminary and then serving 11 years in uh, Soweto as a missionary in South Africa. Um, and now is, is back has a family and is pursuing uh, her, her doctorate um, in racial reconciliation studies, essentially. Um, although reconciliation wouldn't be a word she would use, but you have to listen to the podcast to figure that out. Yeah. But, but you look, I look back at that and say, even in the midst of being what I guess I was probably 28, maybe at the time, um, I was at the very beginning of my journey. I mean, I was still wrestling with all kinds of things, you know, what it looks like to be successful in technology and what image looks like. And I mean, all this stuff and yet still serving in churches and yet having this young woman live with us and realizing that that was a part of her journey. Um, mm. And, and that as she looks back on that now, sees that as an essential part of her journey because she was invited into real people intimately living the Christ life together, mm -hmm. even with all of its failures and you know all, all of those crazy things that you experience as, as a young married couple. So um, I think that when we talk about intimacy, that kind of gets to it, James, right? Um moving beyond the one hour of coffee once a week into we're actually going to live together in community. What does that look like? Yeah. Um, there, there was a time many years later here in Coeur d'Alene where a bunch of our families were looking for what would be next for us. And so we ended up all, all several of us buying lots on the same street where we built houses together and thought, okay, what does this look like? to be in a relatively new community, all living in the same neighborhood. Um, that's a big commitment. You know, not everybody can, can do that. But I've seen that work in various places where people decide that their communal life in Christ together has a bigger impact if they all live in close proximity. Um, 
And I think it also breaks down some of the models, you know, I mean, a lot of the models of 25, 30 years ago, where you go to the best church that has the best services. And if that's 10 miles away, you're lucky, but it's probably 40 miles away. So mm -hmm. you become a commuter, right? And and maybe you decide to go on Wednesday every month because, but it's still 40 miles away and the kids have soccer practice. But but what if what if church happens on a street, right? That's when we start talking about having true impact on, on people's lives. So I think we've experienced that both with having Gigi live with us, um, and then and then also um, in many many other forms of kind of more communal living. Um, that's that's been really impactful. Mm -hmm. That's good. I would love to quick repeat two things that I heard from those stories that seem really valuable. Um, the first, you mentioned Gigi getting to see. Your, your mistakes and like that and oh man it is a powerful experience to see someone else make mistakes and be willing to be seen in their mistakes like how much permission does that give us to be like oh like i i can mess up yeah. and other people will be willing to carry that with me when i make mistakes like that's a profound way to disciple someone like, this is how this is how we mess up this is how we experience grace this is how we do this together yes the second thing good. i do i don't know i need to spend more time considering this but i do think sharing life is going to be very important to discipleship in the church moving forward it's i think one of the things we're really struggling with in the church right now is the fact that often churches like far away it's hard for us to share life with the people that we belong to these faith communities with and i haven't really like grappled with that as much as i'm sure i need to but you just bring up a good a good point mm -hmm. yeah I, that was one of the things that drew me into the communitas kind of way of thinking too is is a hyper local understanding of things um I had a professor at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary um, who had done some, some church planting work in Canada. And they had a requirement, which was, if you can't walk to our gathering, you can't come. Now think about that for a minute. I mean, it, it, it sounds like another rule, right? Yeah. <laughs> which isn't, isn't always great. But also, like, how beautiful is that? That, that keeps things really hyper-local. So that there is an intimacy and not just something on a stage you're you're taking and then you know coming back a week later to come take again. You're actually investing in a greater good in a community. So mm. yeah. One of the healthy things I see in that is we're unfortunately, I think, very prone to find faith communities where people are a lot like they think like us, they believe like us. And when your model is like, we're going to love this neighborhood, we're going to build relationships in this neighborhood. You are going to be prone to having a diversity of views and backgrounds. And, and that's just, there's so much health in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the, things maybe we don't prepare 
people going on mission well enough for is that your mind is going to be blown, <laughs> right? Especially if you're going to a different culture, which, which mm -hmm. in the U.S. that could mean going from you know Texas to Portland. That's as much of a cultural <laughs> thing, you know, as going from Portland to Scotland. You know, <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, you're right, James. Our, our minds are going to be blown, and and yeah. we're going to get tested. You know, what does love look like in the midst of disagreement? And what, one of the things we started Cairo with, and, and Christy, my wife, came up with this with this saying, and it, it's it's been something we go back to every year. We go back to this, which is unity in Christ doesn't mean agreement on all the issues. Mm -hmm. And boy, has that been so incredibly helpful for us that we can have unity in Christ and still disagree on on some issues. Now, if if those issues become core issues, then we have we have a conversation, right? Um, but most of the time we find when we have disagreements, it's on elements that aren't central or core to our faith. Mm -hmm. right? It's on a political stance or or, or a social stance or, or whatever. Um, but that's that's been a really really helpful thing for us as a community is that unity in Christ doesn't always mean agreement. We can have disagreement and still have unity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's good. That's good discipleship. I think it's just it's just hard to know how to love people who are, and I think this is this reflects our cultural context, but just challenging to love people who like think a lot differently and doing that together, practicing reconciliation, practicing those conversations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, yeah, I, I, this is probably getting off topic a bit, but this is where I think organizations like Communitas and believers like us can have a huge impact on the world today where there is so much division and, you know, you're either in or out, right? And that is, how do we at least get people to the table to have a civil conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we can do that, then, you know, that's a step in the right direction. Um, but we have to be able to do that within our hyper-local faith communities before we can do it outside of them. Right. right? right. So that to me is what being missional looks like right now. Yeah, very much. I think you're right. I think that is a grace that like a lot of a lot of people are wanting to tap. I think that's one of the things that the culture we live in is drawn out is people like recognize the like I can't go to I can't spend time with my family without having a fight. How do I how does how do I learn to interact with my family? It's just something that if we had the skills if we have the skills in the church to do the world yeah. is looking for that yeah true true yeah I, I think we're we're moving into an era and a time and and again i'm just i'm showing my age and i know that i'm late 50s and forgive me um but you know i come from a time where what discipleship looked like or what evangelism looked like was me persuading somebody to think differently than they do. Mm -hmm. And I had the right arguments to change their minds. Well, 
there's some element of that 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 is important and still true. I mean, you know, coming to terms with belief, right? That's important. Um, but what I learned in that process was too much of the time, my mind was the one that needed to be changed because I wasn't exhibiting a Christ-like behavior in doing that. I was using yes. manipulation and fear, you know, and so many other tactics. It's like, okay, you look back and say, eh, glad, glad I grew up. <laughs> yeah, so true. So true. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think back to what Paul said in the Roman Empire or in the era of the, the church during the Roman Empire. He's like, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. It's like if we learned as we learn to be more Christ like. The people around us will learn to be more Christ like and yeah. we just need to we need to demonstrate the character of Christ more than any argument or apologetic or propositional statements. That's good. That's good. Well, guys, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, Want to extend an invitation if anybody's watching this later to post questions. We really, we really want to be interacting with anyone who's engaging with this as much as possible. So, if you watch it and you've got questions, we want to talk with you. Um, also want to share that on the 25th, we are going to have Hugh Halter here talking about his book, uh, Righteous Brood. Righteous Brood. Um, and we're gonna be having a conversation about discipling families. So Leon and Bethany LeBou, who we had on a couple times last season, will be interviewing Hugh Halter. That conversation is going to be awesome. Yep. It will be. Yeah, and and James will will give you a night <laughs> off. <laughs> Don't take too much vacation now. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so. Yeah, that's good. He's he's got a lot to say about that that topic, especially more recently for his life. So it'll be oh yeah, to, yeah, definitely fun to hear that with Hugh for sure. Yeah. So yeah, what I've read of Righteous Brood is good. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, thanks for, thanks, Jeff. And Thank you guys. Uh, Fun conversation. I really appreciate it. And uh, I too want to encourage people to, you know, post comments or questions. I'd love to be engaged in some of those and other people's experiences. Just, you know, what I've experienced doesn't make it right. Uh, it's just mm -hmm. an experience. So um, yeah, we could start a conversation. I'd love it. Awesome. Yep. Cool. Hey guys. All right. Right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for In the Room with Communitas North America. In the show notes, you will find links to any resources we mentioned during the, our conversation. If you are interested in learning more about connecting and working with Communitas North America in our mission of starting and shaping faith communities that love like Jesus, click on the link for our website in the show notes to learn more and fill out the contact form. We hope you will be joining us again soon.